because we want to lift our eyes to the Lord. To allow God to lift others through us. Because God's grace is greater than the gravity of life. Christ Church, what a joy it is to be together in worship and a special warm welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm Tara Beth Leach and I serve as one of the pastors here and I am thrilled to be opening the word with you as we are in week two of our Lift initiative. And I gotta tell you, many of you know, raising children can be a challenge. And there's a special kind of challenge in raising pastor's kids, if you've ever known one yourself. And I think a lot of it has to do with the pressure that we put on as pastor parents uh, for fear that if our children react in a certain way, that others will view it as a reflection of the pastor. Uh, Now, God has grown me a lot in this, uh, but I used to put a lot more pressure on myself. I I can remember when I was pastoring in Pasadena on family Sundays, my, my two very young boys sitting in the front row, and I'd be in the middle of the sermon and giving them that stink eye at the same time that I am preaching to the congregation. And I remember one time in particular when my oldest son, Caleb, was just four years old, and we were sitting together as a family as the offering baskets were being passed down the aisle. And we we passed a basket, and it was a beautiful little mountain of cash. As we passed it across my four-year-old, he took both hands and grabbed the cash out. Now, of course, my reflex is I turn around and I start pulling, and it just, I mean, started creating a ruckus that seemed like it was just echoing throughout the sanctuary that day. And we were playing a little bit of tug of war. And I had to explain to him, tithing isn't taking but it's giving. It was such a confusing concept to him because in his mind, when, when we pass plates of food, we take the food. It made no sense in his precious four-year-old mind why when we pass money, we wouldn't take it. You know, tithing is a confusing concept for a four-year-old, but I actually also think that it is a confusing concept for many of us. Uh, it's one that is difficult to make sense of. And it's one that we sometimes feel uncomfortable talking about. We get a little squeamish talking about money behind the pulpit, don't we? And that's so interesting to me because our culture is obsessed with money. We're obsessed with what a contract is for a new sports athlete. We're we're obsessed with box office revenues. Uh, We're obsessed with with Forbes' wealthiest people in America or in the world. Inflation, stock market woes or stock market victories, our 401ks. We're interested and curious in what other people make. We go to glassdoor.com to see what other people make in our industry and, and compare our salaries. We're very interested in money. We like to talk a lot about it. But interestingly, we don't like to talk about money in church, do we? And one of the things we especially don't like to talk about is how much we're giving or whether or not we're giving. And so I confess to you that pastors, we've come before you with sermons like this with a lot of fear and trembling. I'm always nervous when I preach, always. I always have butterflies in my stomach, I always have knots in my stomach, but that is especially true when I preach a sermon on money or tithing. 
Why? Because we know that so much is at stake. We know there's a risk. We do it anyway, but we know there's a risk. We, we risk, for example, people like you feeling manipulated. Perhaps you might think, well, why are you tugging at my heartstrings so you can tug at my purse strings? Uh, we also risk people criticizing the church. People criticizing, looking around and saying, you have these big, beautiful buildings. Why would, you, why would you be asking for money now? Why would you be doing an initiative, a generosity initiative in a time like this when the stock market is in trouble and interest rates are high? Why would you be doing that now? Did you not see all the layoffs in the tech industry over the weekend? And then we risk people rejecting the church. We aren't surprised when folks maybe duck out of church for six weeks until initiatives like this are over, or maybe leave the church altogether. We are very aware of the resistance, and we are very aware of the risk, which is why we stand here with fear and trembling. But we do it anyway. Why? because we recognize that so much more is at stake and something is so much more important than the risk. And that is our hearts. That is your heart. And I can't think of a passage in scripture that gets at this in a more intense and uncomfortable way than Malachi chapter three. It's a passage where God speaks to the Israelites and, and God does not hold back from upsetting the apple cart. God doesn't veer away from the risks. But instead, God leans in because God recognizes that something significant is at stake. And so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, it'll also be on the screen. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from the decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in the house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be the delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. My friends, this is the word of the Lord and an uncomfortable one. You see, Malachi is a prophet of God that speaks on behalf of God in the time of 400 BC. And he is prophesying on behalf of God and the issue of tithes and offerings. Because the problem is, the people of God were withholding 
They were withholding bringing their tithes there to the storehouse. Now, some of you might be familiar with the word tithe means the word tenth. They were to bring 10% of their produce or 10% of their livestock or agriculture there to the storehouse. In fact, Numbers chapter 18, verses 25 through 29 illustrates this for us and illustrates this important instruction for the people of Israel. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of the tithe as a Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the wine press. In this way, you also will present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and the holiest part of everything given to you. As you can see, the Israelites were to bring their very best to God, to the storehouse, their agriculture and their livestock. And in that, that would support the ministry there of the priest and also would support those that did not have land and did not have the ability to uh, have agriculture or livestock. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, 10% was a starting point for the people of God. It was a baseline. Because we see instruction over and over again of the people of God bringing more tithes. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, they were to bring a tithe during the religious celebration. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, every three years, they were to bring tithes and offerings to care for the poor and the marginalized. That's more than 10% now. If you add that up, that gets up to 23%. And this goes on and on and on throughout the Old Testament. And so the purpose of tithing in the Old Testament had many different layers. It was to support the celebration and the worship of the people of God. It was to foster religious life and instruction for the people of God. And it was also used to care for those who were in extreme poverty and the marginalized and the widow and the orphan. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we don't see this same concept of tithing. There is no instruction, for example, to bring 10% to a storehouse but we see something very different and similar. Is we see an early church that was generous beyond measure. In Acts chapter two, at the birth of the early church, we see the people of God generously giving all that they had, the clothes off their own backs, food for those who were in need. In Acts chapter four, we see the early church bringing goods and laying them at the apostles' feet. In 1 Corinthians, we see Paul instructing the church to set aside money for the ministry of the church. And we see Paul thanking others for their financial sponsorship for kingdom impact. The early church was generous beyond measure. And what we see then is this idea of tithe comes to fullness in the person of Jesus, in the generous goodness and grace of God. 
So you might be wondering, so what percentage then should we be giving? Well, I contend that maybe that's the wrong question. And perhaps we need to back up and understand a very foundational and important biblical principle. And that is this. All that I have is gift. That we serve a God that is wildly and lavishly generous. As you've heard me say before, God is a God that just wants to give and give and give and give and give again. And just when we think that God's grace is, is, is abundant enough, God gives again. James talks about this in James chapter one, verse 17, when he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's, it's the, the foundational principle that our time is gift and it's in abundance. That, that our relationships, our community, the world that we are surrounded with, the resources, even our bank account is all gift. And so beginning with that incredibly important foundational principle, perhaps the question shouldn't be, how much should I give? But maybe we should be asking another question. How can I steward all that I have been given for greater kingdom impact? Everything, the whole, my home, my dinner tables, my food, my family, my relationships, my money, my time, my community, all that God has gifted me with. How can I look at this as something that I have been given to simply be a steward for something much greater than I could ever imagine, for greater kingdom and missional impact? That all of we have been given, we are stewards to partner with God, to utilize our resources as an act of worship, and partnering with God in his very good mission and redeeming a weary world and lifting the lowly and lifting people out of extreme poverty. How can we look at all that we have been given and say, okay, this is, this is gift. So the question for us is, are we stewarding all of what God has entrusted us for kingdom impact. What if we began to look at all that God has given us in that kind of way? Everything, through that lens. How can I steward my resources for greater kingdom impact? Because the church is about that. The church is about that work. Christ's church is about that work of greater kingdom impact. 10% was just a starting point for the people of God. The calling today is to steward all that we have been given and learn the incredible joy of being generous beyond measure. In a conversation with Pastor Dan this week, he noted that the giving of evangelicals to their local churches as at an all-time low. Uh, we, we notice that, that Christians are being very, very generous in, in wonderful ways and, and other organizations, but when it comes to their local church, it's at an all-time low. Has something gone amiss 
we wonder. And maybe it comes down to a deeper heart issue, which is the reason why we as pastors, we don't veer away from preaching these sermons because we care about your heart, our hearts. And could it come down to the issue of trust? That we're struggling to trust the gifts that God has given us to use them, to give them away, to be open-handed for greater kingdom impact. I had a conversation this week with one of our missions associates, Jordan Heinzel Nelson. If you haven't met her yet, I hope that you do. Uh, she's, she's on staff here, and she's also the daughter of what are, one of our missions partners, uh, Villages and Partnership. And she shared with me how this incredible ministry began. She said it began with, with a family, uh, with a community, excuse me, in 2008 in the village of Sakata, Malawi. And there in the village, there was a dilapidated building that they wanted to use to build a preschool. They understood that education was critical for the flourishing of children and the future of children in their community. And so they gathered together and came up with a plan to pool their resources to begin building this building. And it was an incredible commitment. It required their own personal resources, their own bricks. It required the use of wood, something that they needed to have dinner, to make dinner, to put food on the table at home. But they trusted God. They trusted God along the way that if they were to pull their resources together, and if they were to offer it up and give it away for greater kingdom impact, for something bigger than themselves, that God would bless it. Well, they reached a hiccup, one of those moments that maybe their trust was tested, and they then were there to respond and test God. They ran out of bricks. Well, at the same time, there was an American family that had a stirring in their hearts. They knew that God was calling them to go to Malawi, but they didn't know exactly what God was asking them to do. They knew specifically that God was calling them to partner with other villages to lift people out of extreme poverty. And they ended up finding their way to that little village in Malawi. And they were able then partner with this village and building a preschool that is still there today. Here we see stories of multiple families responding to the spirit of God and trusting God with their resources, their time, their talent and treasures and God creating an incredibly beautiful story. And by the way, Malawi is one of our three go team trips that's happening this summer. But here's the cool thing. You're part of this story. You are really, I mean, we don't just say this on Sunday mornings when it's time for the offering. Like, we are actually part of that. You and I. Because when we give of our resources, this is one of our mission's partners. When we give of our resources, we are offering that up in the posture of trust and worship. And in the posture of trust and saying, okay, God, I'm trusting that this is gonna go out into the world for greater kingdom impact. 
It's story of trust, of trust, of trust, and of the people of God responding to the generous grace of God. As I reflect on the passage of Malachi chapter three, God was completely shocked. God was completely stunned. I I mean, just, you can hear the tone. And you can almost understand, if if you're a parent and, and you have children, and you're just so generous with your kids and then they struggle to share with other people, you're like, have I taught you nothing? Or sometimes, uh, <laughs> sometimes I'll be out to dinner with my boys, I'll be like, can I, can I just have one french fry? And they're like, no, I'm like, I bought that. <laughs> you can understand why God would be shocked. Why God would be shocked because he gave so much and even still, they were withholding. Perhaps it comes down to the issue of trust. Of trusting that God has given us these resources, not for me, myself, and I, but for us and God's very good world and very good creation. This is exactly what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 33, when he says this, excuse me, 28 through 33, he says this. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I wish I could tell you that I've never been like these pagans. But I have. I wish I could tell you that I haven't worried about these things that Jesus is getting after. But I have. I wish I could tell you that I've been one to seek first the kingdom all the time, but I haven't. But here's the things that I am learning in this journey. God says to the Israelites in Malachi chapter three, test me, test me, bring, bring your first fruits to the storehouse, test me, and see that I will bless you. And our giving journey We've tested God so many times, struggling to trust, struggling to keep an open hand. There have been times, in fact, Jeff and I were talking about on our way in this morning about giving. There have been times where I've looked at him and been like, are you sure? Can we really pull that off? And that's where I need the spirit of the living God to do some heart surgery in me. Because What we've learned and had, I mean, I've had to learn this an embarrassing amount of times. That when I test God, God blesses. And we've never been left wanting. We've never been left without. But somehow, God's provision in often very unconventional ways and often very surprising ways God's provision is there. 
Do you trust God to supply your needs? Last week, Dan introduced us to the five finger fold of faith. I wanna invite you to bring your hands up just like this. I'm gonna go ahead and clench it and let's put our thumb up. This one stands for, I will follow God. And throughout this series, we're gonna get through all five fingers, but this one stands for, I will follow God. Say that with me, I will follow God. Very good. And the second one, this pointer finger says, stands for, I will trust God. Would you say that with me? I will trust God. Okay, now let's do both at the same time. We're gonna do I will follow God and I will trust God. I will follow God, I will trust God. My friends, do you trust God to supply your needs? Have you tested him? We invite you to give generously, not because we want to do a fundraiser, not because we just want to build castles. We invite you to give generously because we care about your heart. We invite you to give generously because we are so passionate about the mission of God in this world. And we want to steward all that God has given, all of us as a whole, to be part of that story to learn the thrill of trust, to learn the thrill of blessing. Because what we discover at the end of the day that it is a grace that is so bigger than anything we could ever imagine. Or as Dan often says, it's a grace greater than the gravity of life. So my question for you is, Will you trust Jesus? Let us pray. God, we thank you for your provision and unending goodness to us. Like the child that doesn't want to share the food is us. But God, I pray that we would be a church that would learn the thrill of trust, the thrill of being open-handed, the thrill of surrender, the thrill of reckless generosity. God, I pray that we as a church would test you and see and know that you are good that you are kind, that you are a provider, and that you are gracious. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.